Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, October 31st. We begin with the haunted history of Halloween and the evolution of modern-day Halloween costumes. We get a spooky history lesson from Leslie Bannatyne, author of the book Halloween Nation, Behind the Scenes of America's Fright Night. Next, Calgary's Palliser Hotel is dying to have you. We catch up with Brian Robertson, owner and co-founder of Walk the YYC, for some bone-chilling tales from Calgary's historic haunted hotel. Then, is it possible to be scared to death? From amusement park haunted houses to spending time watching horror movies, we explore why we choose to be scared with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And finally, it's Motivational Monday. This time out, a man who continues to push his body and his boundaries to achieve a lifelong goal. We hear the personal success story of champion bodybuilder Todd Payette. Getting your Halloween off to a ghoulishly good start. Mornings with Sudia and Andrew Schultz on 770 CHQR. <laughs> Is Halloween a North American phenomenon, and how did the holiday evolve into the celebration of the macabre that we know? Joining us to discuss is Leslie Bannatyne, author of Halloween Nation, Behind the Scenes of America's Fright Night. Good morning to you, Leslie. Good morning and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Uh, Is Halloween celebrated across the world, or is it mostly a North American event? Now, it is celebrated in different parts of the world, but I would say that this is where it's mostly celebrated in Canada and and the United States. But there are pockets of it in different places, mostly because, for one, it started there, like Northwestern Europe, Scotland, Ireland. But also because we're exporting the stuff that goes with Halloween to other cultures. So people in Japan can can buy Halloween costumes Mm. and Halloween decorations, or people in South Africa can do it. And so it's going out all over the world. Uh, how did Halloween start, Leslie? Because it, it's evolved, obviously. It didn't I, I can't imagine it, it, it started as the form that we celebrate today. That's, that's right. Um, in fact, trick-or-treating is probably a really, relatively speaking, a recent celebration of Halloween. Trick-or-treating didn't happen, at least in the United States, until around the 1930s or 40s. And I think it was probably similar in, in Canada. Before that, um, there was a whole bunch of traditions that began in Europe, uh, specifically Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Northern England, where uh, a holiday called Samhain was, was marked around November 1st, which means summer's end. And it was the beginning of winter because it was the beginning of winter. It meant a lot of things. One of them being that the supernatural was involved because looking into the dark and dangerous season, it made sense to try to imagine things that might be out there in the dark. And so that little little holiday traveled through time. And then the church put a couple more holidays around November 1st and November 2nd specifically that reinforced this relationship we have to the spirit world or the other world. All Souls Day on November 7th commemorates the dead and all saints, the saints that don't have a specific saint day. So it was it was kind of reinforced. And those two holidays gradually um, turned into the secular holiday. It didn't turn into the secular holiday, Halloween, but Halloween was attached to All Saints Day, which was known as All Hallows. So the eve of all saints was all Hallows mm. Eve, which gives us Halloween, and separated from the church feast day, kind of in Scotland around 1600s, 1700s, and that's what we got over here. 
All right. <laughs> that came over with the Irish and the Scottish immigrants. Let's talk about those costumes. Kids and adults alike will start thinking weeks, well, in the case of my kids, <laughs> months and months ahead of what they want to dress up as. Let's talk about, you know, attaching a costume to Halloween. When did that start? And, uh, you know, were costumes as varied back then as they are today? In, in North America, the first Halloween parties were thrown in the late 1800s. And costumes were a part of it from the beginning. It was a disguise. It was a reference a bit to the spirit world that was out and around. So the costumes actually were very similar to ones we see today. Not the same, but the similar witches, ghosts, um, creatures of the night, bats, cats, things like that, were associated with the very first Halloween parties. And they were handmade, of course, because there was no mass production of costumes that didn't happen until the 20th century when costumes kind of followed along the waves of popular culture so there are still bats cats witches and ghosts but there's also superman and batman and Mm. pokemon and everything else and you know the the phenomenon that we've really noticed of late andy and i were talking about this yesterday just I don't know how this began, and maybe you can answer, but costumes that suddenly became not just a nurse, but a sexy nurse or a (laughs) goblin or a sexy goblin. Like, where did that sexualization of every single costume start? No kidding. Sexy Mr. Rogers, sexy sexy COVID. I know, I know. Sexy pizza rat. Uh, Halloween has become a little bit more ironic in terms of Mm. adult costumes or meta. (laughs) So Halloween costumes always commented on our culture. And it started around the the early 2000s when we started, I started to see sexy costumes everywhere. And I think it was, it was a comment and a joke on other things. And, you know, some of them can be funny and some of them people like sexy nurse costumes. (laughs) Yeah. Gives them a chance to kind of go loose that night. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's part of it. I yeah. never thought of it. Maybe yep. because you, that's not your normal self. You get to be somebody else, and that person might be sexy. Uh, before <laughs> we let you go, Leslie, uh, something we've been talking about over the past uh, week or so, because we like to talk about food and mm-hmm. treats, do you have a favorite Halloween treat, a chocolate or a candy that you love to have every Halloween, or if there are kids around, you like to steal it from their bags? <laughs> Which one is it? I do. Um, Butterfingers. Oh, Butterfingers. Yum. Very good. (laughs) Delicious. A great choice. I'll meet you in the pantry. That's where I go to eat the children's uh, Reese's peanut butter cups that I steal out of their bag. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Leslie. Appreciate the history lesson. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Leslie Banatine, author of Halloween Nation, Behind the Scenes of America's Fright Night. You can get more at her website, (laughs) iSkullHalloween.com. The ghouls and goblins will be out en masse tonight. But we can have fun in the morning, too. Mornings with Sue and Andy on 770-CHQR. Calgary's News, today's talk. (laughs) 
108 years, guests have checked in to Calgary's Palliser Hotel, but perhaps not everyone has checked back out. Joining us to talk about the haunted history of the Palliser Hotel and dark tourism is Brian Robertson, owner and co-founder of Walk the YYC. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you. This is a perfect time to check in with you. Tell us a little bit about Walk the YYC. Yeah, Walk the YYC, we offer uh, pay-what-you-want tours, history tours, and haunted tours downtown Calgary. Brian, some people might be surprised because Calgary, in the grand scheme of things, is, is a relatively newer city. We don't have the history of a Montreal or some areas, uh, Toronto, uh, you know, Maritimes, but we do have a history. So give us an idea, for example, about the Palliser Hotel. It, is it really haunted or was it haunted? Yeah, so two weeks ago, a group called CAPI, the Calgary Association of Paranormal Investigators, they went in there along with uh, my team to the Palliser to do an investigation. And uh, some of the things they found in there was shocking, to be honest. Do tell. Yeah, so... um, First, we have to thank the Palliser. It's the first time they've allowed this to happen uh, in their history, and uh, and they gave us unprecedented access to uh, rooms and floors and that sort of thing to do it. And uh, and before we went in there to do it, they actually allowed an email to go around to all their employees asking for stories to kind of lead us into areas where we might want to focus the investigation. And the employees definitely came back with a lot of stories. So there are all kinds of stories throughout history uh, of the Palliser, of like, you know, a conductor walking through the hallways and uh, parties and that sort of thing. And the actual only story we can verify are the parties in the penthouse. So uh, two weeks ago, two rooms, two separate rooms, uh, on the 11th floor, called down at about 1.30 a.m., uh, complaining about a party going on above them. Above them is the penthouse. And uh, and we can tell you there's definitely not a party going on in the penthouse. Uh, the penthouse is a lounge now, and it closes at 10 p.m., and they actually haven't had a party in that lounge since 2010. Now, it used to be a wedding venue and a private party venue, um, so it's not unlikely that parties went on there in the past, but uh, currently, since 2010, there have been no parties. But two rooms called on the same night, around the same time, complaining of a party, and there was nothing going on up there. Mm, oh, creepy. Now, this is... This is a normal story. So uh, this story has been going on for uh, as long as Palliser has been around, essentially. And uh, and actually, employees have the exact same experiences. So um, one of the night employees that checks the hotel uh, a few months back, he uh, he heard us. He heard a party going on while he was doing his rounds and he called down to the front desk and he said it was three three thirty in the morning and he said uh, what time is this party gonna end and the front desk told him uh, there's definitely not a party going on so you better check it out <sighs> so he went in the back way because there is a kitchen up there and as he went to open the door into the main room he could still hear the party going on 
very clearly, he said. And he opened the door, and as he opened the door, all the lights were out. There wasn't a sound going on in the room, and there was no one in the room. <laughs> That's creepy. That That's super creepy. Yeah, and the consistency. So I'm wondering, you mentioned, uh, if you can delve a little bit more into, I think you called it Cappy, Brian, when you're yeah. interested in, in, in measuring and, and learning more about this. The stories are a huge part of it, and I get the sense that when people are interested in the paranormal, they have like you know tools and devices to measure things. Is, is anything like that been involved with the Palliser? Yeah, so they brought all of their tools and devices, and honestly, I like they bring EMF uh, detectors and a whole host. Uh, they have a giant toolbox, and uh, I don't know the names of all all their instruments to be honest, but uh, but they brought them all in and uh, and they went around. We did go through the penthouse, and they found uh, EMF, which is electromagnetic force or field um they they found it uh sitting like in fabric chairs which was very weird to them they couldn't figure out why there would be emf in that there was extraordinary amount of emf coming off the lights uh which i mean there should be some sort of emf coming off lights because they're electricity but uh an extraordinary amount of it that really puzzled them uh they couldn't find much more than that uh, in the penthouse. However, as they said, it, it could just be an imprint. So it's not actually ghosts up there. It's just the imprint of the parties going on and something triggers it. Or so you that- think, Brian. <laughs> so you think. We're going to uh, send people to the website walkthewyc.com. Uh, dark tourism, it's a thing. If you're into the ghost stories, maybe you want to check out the Palliser Hotel. Thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you. Appreciate it. Brian Robertson, owner and co-founder of Walk the YYC. Um, that's fascinating that's and creepy. I want to go to the Palliser right now. Yes. It's the most frightening day of the year. Good thing Sue and Andy are here to keep your morning comfortable. Mornings with Sue and Andy on 770 CHQR. Conversation with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, this time out with a Halloween twist. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. (laughs) Okay, it's that that time of the year, Dr. J. We love a good scare. So from spooky costumes to haunted houses and, of course, the scary movies. Curious, why do we like and choose to be scared? I don't think I have any any clue about this. Uh, certainly, from a medical point of view, there's there's nothing uh, to it. But God, it's true, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, whether it be you know this time of year, Halloween versus just watching really scary movies, horror flicks. Uh, we like it from a young ages all the way up to adulthood. So there's, I I think it's just that adrenaline rush of it. Mm-hmm. The same way as you know skiing very fast or snowboarding down a hill or just doing anything, uh, going to a fair, uh, you know, roller coaster. That kind of idea where our heart rate gets up very quickly and we feel that pounding in our chest, the exhilaration, and that's what getting scared does. And I guess somehow in our human psyche, we love that adrenaline rush. Mm. Here's the question, because it's one of the greatest cliches we use. I, yeah. I swear, I use it, uh, you know, uh, weekly, scared to death. Could we? Is it possible, do you think, for a human being to be scared to death? 
Uh, if you had a very bad cardiac condition, that's not impossible. So as the adrenaline comes, like seriously, we could go into an arrhythmia uh, and that could, I guess, kill us. Um, that's exceedingly rare and you would have to have a very unusual, uh, that would have to be an unusual circumstance or a heart that's very weirdly wired. So usually this is a genetic problem with the heart where it can go into a terminal arrhythmia uh, triggered by some event of some sort. Uh, so every now and again, we see uh, athletes uh, die on the field or on the ice, and it's usually is the same sort of heart, which gets triggered and then goes into a very unusual arrhythmia, which can be uh, life-threatening. So it is possible. Huh. Okay, let's be a little more cheerful then. This yeah. now let's talk candy because who doesn't love it? Age-old yeah. dilemma for parents: Do we let our, let our kids just go nuts when they come back from trick or treating and eat whatever they want, or do we ration it starting from no. Halloween evening? Oh, you absolutely ration it. So I think the key here is it's fun to dress up. It's fun to get the loot, the stash, sort it all out, but you don't have to eat it all. In fact, uh, one of the rules for a healthy Halloween is to get the candy out of the house as quick as possible, whether that be a donation to a dentist who apparently will sometimes uh, buy, sort of buy it back or just, you know, give a little bit that evening, you know, maybe once a week, you have a plan. So everything is sort of uh, negotiated. No matter what candy we get, here's what we're going to do tonight. Here's what we're going to do maybe once a week. And yes, and you hide it away because mm. the problem isn't just the kids. It's the adults <laughs> who start eating the candy. And everyone's eating candy that they really don't want, uh, truly. Because usually it's like it isn't that big a craving, but it's sitting right there. And it, yeah. so everyone gets that. And it's that. delicious, So the Dr. key is Jay. plan. Have a plan and deploy it. My plan is usually just hide in the pantry and eat it. Yes. No. no, you hide in the pantry. <laughs> exactly. You know, you've just shattered it for me, Dr. J, yeah. when you said adults, too, because I always think I'm just jumping on the grenade for the kids and saving them from all that chocolate <laughs> by shoveling it in myself. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Yes, you are. Of course you are. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. J. That's why we pay you the big bucks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I know you, you kind of gave us the bad news there, but do you have a favorite Halloween candy that you, you see, a favorite chocolate or candy that you have to have this time of the year? Oh, you know, like those little those little Smarties and those little tiny boxes. Mm. I kind of like those. Yeah, but and, only and like those, little Mar- those little Mars bars. Oh yeah, and then there's those little Snicker. I, yeah. I probably like it all to be okay. honest. <laughs> Which is pretty That's pathetic. <laughs> you named all my favorites along with the Reese's peanut butter cup. Good work. <laughs> oh yes. Oh god, you forgot those. So I do love that one. <laughs> Excellent. Well, happy- Glad he's on board with us. Yeah, there's there you have it. Well, some great advice. Uh, thank you for your time and happy Halloween to you, Doctor J. You betcha. Oh, oh. He's in the Halloween spirit. Yes, he is. Dr. Ted Jablonski, he's our on-call family physician. It's the most frightening day of the year. Good thing Sue and Andy are here to keep your morning comfortable. I always enjoy having Sue and Andy for breakfast. Mornings with Sue and Andy on 770 CHQR. He is the ultimate motivational Monday guest. Todd Payette was once a skinny little kid who was picked on and sadly was the one to find his father's body after he took his own life. Well, now Todd is a champion bodybuilder, weight training coach, author and speaker, and he joins us now. Good morning to you, Todd. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you, sir. I know you've got a a big trip planned and coming up, and it's a big event for you, but let's go back in time a little bit. You you wrote your story. That was the last time we had you on the air. An amazing book titled Shoulder Down. It's a term you've used throughout your life. Tell us what shoulder down means to you. Shoulder down, uh, the term came 
actually from a, a basketball coach I had back in the day. I was a kid and I was playing uh, basketball and we were doing a drill, a one-on-one drill. And this one kid, he kept pushing me sort of away from the the uh, basket. And my coach uh, instructed me, he said, you have to put your shoulder down to move through the obstacle. And he demonstrated and I tried it and it worked. And it just sort of clicked with me that, you know, if you were willing to you know, put your shoulder down in life, and move forward no matter what, there's really nothing that can stop you. You just have to be willing to, to do it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, Todd, because you, you've had uh, hardships in your life, no question. And when people tell you that you cannot do something, mm-hmm. you can either, you know, turtle up and say, okay, I can't do it because somebody said that I can't do it. But you have been quoted as saying that, you know, anytime you compete and maybe even the inspiration to write your book, was to answer every single person that told you that you could not do something. Is that something that still fuels you? Yeah, it's really like gas on a fire. <laughs> like I love when people say, you, you know, no, you can't, it's impossible. And when I started uh, training with weights, uh, which seems like a million years ago, I was 18 years old, just a skinny little kid. I was inspired by a book I had read uh, by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and, uh, you know, he just had this attitude, like he was told many times, what are you, crazy? You're never, you know, you live in the middle of nowhere in Austria and you're going to be what, this bodybuilder, this actor? You know, everybody told him no. And uh, that really spoke to me. And so I started lifting weights and I told anybody who would listen, I said, you know, one day I'm going to go to the Mr. Universe. And here I was, you know, 150 pounds, six foot tall. <laughs> Kid, and they're looking at me laughing and saying, Mr. Universe, I don't think so, buddy. But it really, the more they said no, the more it just pushed me to move forward. And to this day, you know, I, I kind of take that as as a, uh, a motivational tool. You know, tell me no. Okay, now watch when I do it. Todd, first question, how old are you? I am going to be 54 years old. Uh, this November in in a few weeks. Well, you're using that same mentality to push and go after this latest challenge, the one that you just mentioned, the title of Mr. Universe. Why that contest? Why is it so important to you? Well, it has it has the longest history. It's the longest running major title. It's it's been running for over seventy years. And as I mentioned when I read that book uh, that Arnold had written about, written, he spoke about you know, going to the Mr. Universe. And the way he spoke about it, uh, you know, people from all over the world, the the best in the world are going to be there. And just the the title itself has so much history and so many great champions have been there. And and I'm a student of history. I love the history of, of bodybuilding and many other things. Uh, and it just seems so you know, almost like this insurmountable challenge, you know, it's uh, a mythic sounding title, you know, the Mr. Universe, not like people from other planets are going to be there, (laughs) but, but it just always appealed to me. And it was certainly something that people have always said, wow, you know, hey, you're, you know, this kid from Canada, like, no, you know, this isn't, this isn't going to happen. Yeah, it's incredible, you know, the journey. And I want to direct people to Todd Payette, P-A-Y-E-T-T-E dot com. 
if they want to see the pictures, muscles on muscles. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what? It's incredible to see. But I want to talk about the other muscle, which is the brain, Todd. Because in my opinion, and uh, being on any fitness journey, something I've strived to do over the past couple of years, I think you could have the best trainer available to you, the best equipment available to you. But if you're not, if you don't have that mindset, none of it matters, does it? It doesn't matter unless you're on board with yourself in your head, right? That is so true. Um, I was very quick to discover that it was more of a, a mental exercise than physical. Yes, you lift weights and you eat certain food, and 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 that's obviously a huge part of it. But a lot of people fail because they rely on motivation, and the problem is motivation comes and goes. You're going to have days where you're going to wake up and say, oh, man, I can't wait. I'm going to go train. I'm going to eat well and this and that. But just like anybody else, I have days where I get up and think, you know, I'd rather sit on the couch and eat some Pop-Tarts. And, <laughs> you know, so, so it becomes a, a discipline, you know, just like you, you know, I tell people, hey, you don't have to be reminded to brush your teeth every day. It's something you just do. And training and being healthy is the exact same thing, and yet people think that it's something that is is optional. Yet we only have the one body, and then we act surprised when things go south. It, it should be as much a part of your day as washing your face or, you know, breathing or sleeping. So uh, I was, you know, I, I employ this technique that I call flip the switch, be the machine, uh, which means, you know, like, once you turn the machine on, the machine just works. It doesn't think about it. It doesn't argue. It doesn't debate. So I mentally, in my head, have this little switch. And on those days where I really don't want to do it, I picture, you know, turning that switch on. And once I flip that, there is no more should I or shouldn't I. I just do. And that, that takes practice, absolutely. But people have to remember that you can't rely necessarily on a trainer or a coach or anything. It's a discipline. And once you can master that, which is mastering the mind, nothing is going to stop you. Flip the switch, turn the machine on. I love it. It's a great uh, a little mantra to go on in your head and maybe something visual to, to help you be inspired day after day. Good luck to you. I know you leave tomorrow for England. The competition's this coming weekend, right? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Next Saturday. Please let us know how you do. All the best. Good luck to you. You look amazing right now. So uh, really, really hoping that you come back a champ, although you're a champion in our books anyway. I appreciate that very much. And of course, I will I will keep you posted and, and, and thank you for having me on. Have a great day, Todd. Thanks. Todd Payette, champion bodybuilder, weight training coach, author and speaker. You can find out more about him at toddpayette.com.